Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1. And we're beginning a new series on the pastoral epistles. Uh, not them all, just Second Timothy and, and Titus. I want to read the whole of the first chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, uh, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, this grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But, as, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought uh, life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he, he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he has refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> now, as I said, we're going to begin a new series uh, on Second Timothy and Titus. Uh, and I hope to look at, as we look at these uh, letters, the, the priorities of, of, of gospel work uh, that Paul highlights in these letters. Uh, and I hope that we will see and get some uh, idea uh, of what we ourselves need to be prioritizing as a church uh, in our surrounding culture as we compare it to the times uh, that Timothy and Titus uh, worked in. Now you're no doubt aware that the letters uh, are primarily written to uh, the leadership of the church, uh, Timothy, who was a leader in the church in Ephesus, and Titus, who was in Crete. Uh, 
And we think, uh, we think about these letters, we, we find here the, the apostle is giving advice. Um, he's giving advice um, to the leadership, uh, to Timothy and Titus in these positions about what to do in these scenarios that they find themselves in. But just because it's, these letters are written to the leadership doesn't mean that if you don't hold some form of leadership or some position that you have an excuse then just to ignore all that's said and uh, tune out. For if we look at the very last uh, thing that Paul says in 2 Timothy uh, in chapter 4, verse 22, he says, Grace be with you, and the you there actually is plural. So that means it's for, the letter was for everywhere, everybody in the church. It was primarily for Timothy, but it was to be read to the whole church. The whole church needed to understand what Paul was saying. And it's very important for us all that we understand the, the rules, the responsibilities that are given to leadership within the church. Um, and the priorities that that leadership is set, uh, is given and set forward uh, for the church itself even so that you can just know how to pray better for the leaders in the church, the elders for David, and so on. Now, throughout these letters, Paul is given advice to young leaders whom he has sent to two locations. In Timothy's case, we know Paul had deliberately sent him to Ephesus. If we read in 1 Timothy, he was deliberately sent there because of the threat of false teaching in the church in Ephesus. Um, there were those who were teaching things that in the church that were contrary to, what, to the gospel that Paul preached. And it was Timothy's job to counteract it, to silence them. What the specific heresy was is very hard to pin down, but we'll get an idea of it as we work through the letter. But as very often that happens with plans in the church, things have not worked out very well for Timothy in Ephesus. The situation was hard. And Timothy, I think, if we read through this letter, is on the verge of giving up, giving up on the whole project. And so with all this in mind, the apostle writes to his young apprentice, his young protege, Timothy. You will see verse 1, of course, the letter comes from the apostle, Paul. Um, and he was writing this in Rome, probably in a prison cell. Um, this was his second imprisonment in Rome. But this time, of course, it wasn't in the very comfortable house arrest that we read off in the last chapters of Acts. This time he was in the squalor of a very dark, damp, and awful dungeon. He was expecting probably to die quite soon. And he longs to see Timothy before that happens. If we read in chapter 4, you see he asks him to come to him soon. Paul is a bit helpless. He can't leave to go to Timothy's aid. So all he can do is write him this letter. And in the letter, what we have here is, is the apostle trying to encourage young Timothy. And in a way, as we will see, rebuke him. As he calls him, young Timothy, as he calls him his dear son uh, in verse 2. For Timothy, the pressure seems to be intense. Paul had sent him on other missions and into other difficult situations before, but it seems in Ephesus he had possibly bitten off more than he could chew. For not only was he up against the false teaching and the false teachers in the church that seemed to be making a lot of progress, but there was also the added fact that there was more and more external pressures on the church itself. 
There was widespread persecution, open hostilities at this point uh, in, from the Roman state. Paul himself, having been released, is now imprisoned again for preaching the gospel. Many others in the church, I'm sure, felt the pressure that this would cause on them. And then not to mention the fact that in a place like Ephesus, which had its own cult religion uh, to the goddess Diana, and of course the, the god emperor at the time, you can imagine the pressure that was on the church to compromise, to conform. It would be easier for business opportunities and employment as a lot of the business and the commercial trade was connected with the temple, was connected with the state-sponsored uh, religion. And so if you were a Christian, you were excluded from a lot of first century life. And both these internal pressures of false teaching and external pressures of a hostile culture left Timothy with a lot on his plate, and I would say a lot on his mind. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment, and you begin to realize the pressure he was under. He was responsible. He was the leader in the church, and it, the church was on the brink. False teaching he was having a real hard time dealing with it. It wouldn't go away. And then there were those in the church, of course, who were tempted to compromise with the surrounding culture. Tempted to compromise because it made life a whole lot easier, a whole lot more comfortable. There was a possibility of imprisonment, open hostility to his message. And there were many who were actively turning away. If you look at chapter 1, verse 15, you find Paul mentions them. So you see, Timothy obviously was a very successful pastor of a growing church in an active witness, with an active witness to his local congregation and making a real impact on Ephesus. Or, or not, as the case may be. The truth of the matter is that as we look at this letter, we find Timothy is struggling. The church may or may not be growing at this point. But what we see is that Timothy... I think is ready to throw in the towel. He's had enough. The pressure is too much for him. And put all that together with the fact that his mentor, his teacher, the Apostle Paul, is now in prison, far away in Rome, getting ready to die. Timothy is alone. He is in a hostile environment. And if I were in his shoes, I would be struggling too. But if we really think about it and we compare that time to our own time, is it really that much different? How many of us are struggling with the pressures of a hostile culture? How many of us are squeezed by the culture around us? How many of us are ready to give up at times? Find it going, find the going tough. How many of us are so fed up with the false teaching and the nonsense that makes its way around the evangelical circle of churches? How many of our own leaders in the congregation are feeling under pressure? Would it not be easier just, just to resign and have a normal, whatever that actually is, an, a normal life? Are we really making an impact on the surrounding culture in the city? Are we a successful church, however you define that? Paul will tell Timothy in chapter 3 of this letter that this is what he is to expect because this is the last 
days, the times between Jesus' two comings. And it shouldn't surprise us that the same issues that Timothy struggled with and faced are alive and well today in their various forms. For we also live in these last days. But what are we to do about it? How are we to react? Do we just give in? Do we throw our heads up in despair? As Timothy was tempted to do. Do we give in to the frustration at the state of things? That would be the easy thing to do. As we shall see in this letter, we find that these last words, that we, the last words that we have from the Apostle Paul are very relevant to us as a church, and in particular to, to leadership, as it seeks to set out priorities for the church's work, as we seek to continue with the work of the gospel amongst all the pressures that are brought to bear on us. So the first thing I think we see here is Paul calls Timothy to, to, to remember the gift of God that he has received. Now in verses 3 to 5, Paul, uh, first of all, gives thanks for Timothy and assures him of his prayers, which no doubt was, was a great comfort to him in, that search, in, the, in this, this time. But he draws Timothy's attention to a historical legacy in these verses. First of all, Paul speaks about his forefathers, uh, those who had come before him, who had served the living and true God, even as Paul now was doing in prison. And also Timothy. Timothy was part of a historical legacy, and he draws it to the, the young man's attention. In verse 5, Paul speaks of Timothy's sincere faith, but that faith first residing in his grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice, and now is with Timothy also. You see, for Timothy and his situation in Ephesus, it was really easy to forget, as he works there, as he ministers for the gospel, that he is part of something which is far bigger than just his own difficult circumstances at this time. He is part of a godly legacy of faith that God has given to his very own family. Paul had a legacy before him as his ancestors served God. Timothy must remember that he is part of a plan of God, a legacy that God's grace has produced. And he must take seriously then what he is going to do about it. Will it end with Timothy? See, that's the big danger. Paul is persuaded that Timothy inherits the same faith that his mother and grandmother has. But what is he doing with it? With this responsibility that is now on his shoulders, what is he doing with it? What will he do with his faith? Will he continue or will he give in? And it's this idea of continuing with the gospel that Paul will again pick up on in, in chapter 2. But he goes on to encourage Timothy further for he tells him, Fan into flame, Timothy, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Since Timothy is part of a, a godly legacy, that this faith resides in him, Paul calls him to actively fan into flame the gift of God. This idea carries, or it carries this idea of stoking up a fire that has burned down. It's not that it has gone out, but that it, it needs rekindled, it needs set ablaze again, it needs stoked up again. 
And it's this gift that Timothy has received through the laying on of Paul's hands that he, that he needs to rekindle. But what is it? Well, there are two possible explanations. Firstly, this gift could be that Paul is referring to some gift that Timothy received at a type of ordination ceremony, a gift specifically for his, uh, a spiritual gift specifically for his ministry. But I think it's much more likely, if we take this verse along with the one after it, that Paul is referring to the Holy Spirit. For as we will see, Paul is encouraging Timothy to rediscover again the strength that is required for his ministry in Ephesus. That it doesn't originate in himself, but it is a gift from God. It is something that God gives to equip him for the service that he has. And nor should it surprise us that Timothy received this Holy Spirit through the laying on of Paul's hands. If you read through the book of Acts, that is not unusual. Timothy most likely was converted on one of Paul's missionary journeys. And now Paul is calling him to remember the source of his strength for the fight ahead. It is the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that he received at his conversion to Christ was the same spirit that equips him for what he needs to do in his ministry. Through the strength he needs to continue even when he wants to give up. You see, in Timothy's case, would it not be very easy to get depressed, disheartened, to the point where you're saying, in fact, I can't do this anymore? Well, actually, that's true. He can't do it on his own. He requires the Holy Spirit, the motivator, the strength to carry out the work God has for him to do. For Paul reminds him again, God did not give us a spirit, in verse 7, that the S should be a capital S, for it's the Holy Spirit. He did not give us the Holy Spirit of timidity, or a better translation, cowardice. The Holy Spirit was not there to make Timothy run away. Rather, it was there to give him power, love, and self-discipline. You see, Paul explains what a Holy Spirit ministry is really all about. And just in case all you charismatic types start to get a little excited, it's worth pointing out here that nowhere in this letter does Paul refer to miraculous gifts, speaking in tongues, or anything like that. But what he does refer to is the Holy Spirit gives us power. And in this context, what is that power for? It is power to suffer for the gospel. Look at verse 8. Power to suffer. The power to keep going when everyone else gives in. It's the power to continue with the ministry rather than give up. It's the Spirit also gives us love. How easy it would be for Timothy to become resentful to those who he opposes, to hate them, to hate those who act stupidly and pig-headedly, to get angry, to lash out. But the Spirit gives us love. To love our enemies. So that we don't lash out in hate, but we, draw, but we draw, seek to draw them back with love into the correct path. And the Spirit gives us self-discipline. Not self-pity, not self-despair, but a discipline. A discipline that keeps us going with the work, even when we're not seeing the results. Even when it isn't being successful. Even when the going is tough. 
Timothy needs to relight the power that the Spirit gives him for his work. He needs to rely on the Spirit's power, that love, that self-discipline, and not continue with a, what, what could be an unhealthy inward-looking pessimism for his situation. The gift of God was sufficient for him. It was sufficient to see him through. And it's sufficient for us as well. Each of us has the sufficient resources for the ministry that we are involved in. Be that in a leadership context or in other things in the church. God has equipped us for the task. The Spirit works in us that power, that love, that self-discipline that we may need. But maybe, maybe we are like Timothy. Maybe we need to rekindle that flame. Maybe we need to fan into flame once more that gift of God that he has given us. But secondly, Timothy needs to fan into flame the Holy Spirit so that he will be faithful. So that he is not tempted to be ashamed. Ashamed of the gospel or ashamed of Paul, the messenger of the gospel. Verse 8. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel for the power of, by the power of God. See, without a doubt, the gospel will bring with it all manners of suffering, be they physical, and that was a real possibility for Timothy, or the more subtle types in a, in a status-obsessed culture. For Timothy, the temptations were there, and I'm sure very real for him to be ashamed of the gospel. The main message he was preaching was a crucified saviour in a Roman culture. How would they have understood that? And what's more, how easy it would be to be ashamed not only of the gospel, but of Paul in prison. Paul was a criminal. He was in chains. Someone to be mocked and trampled upon by the, the Roman authorities. He was a church leader. A church leader in prison. How scandalous. You can imagine the rumors, even amongst the church members, the subtle jibes that Paul would have been receiving from the false teachers who were causing so much trouble for Timothy here in Ephesus. And I'm sure Paul was afraid. He was afraid that with all these pressures that Timothy faced, that Timothy would run away from him, would be ashamed, that he would lose Timothy. That Timothy would distance himself from Paul when in public. That when the, the mocking started, that he would forget about Paul. Be easier, wouldn't it? Easy to forget about the gospel. Just make the best of it. Don't worry about it. How tempting for Timothy. How tempting for us. Yet Paul calls Timothy to rekindle the Holy Spirit, which gives him power for his ministry. And that specifically, what specifically does that power do? Helps him in his suffering. Join me in suffering for the gospel, Paul calls Timothy. It's that power of God that keeps Timothy faithful to the gospel, faithful to Paul, who is Jesus' apostle. You see, when we think about power in our culture, we, in, in church context, we, we want to think about large congregations, huge number of converts, all these different things going on, a real buzz. But actually what 
God gives us power for is to suffer for him and to live a holy life. Verse 9. And you see, that's really the mark of the Holy Spirit ministry. People who are prepared to suffer for the gospel and to live lives that are holy, that are honoring to God, lives that are deliberately different from that surrounding culture, from that surrounding society. Lives that set their priorities by the will of God and not by the will of the emperor. And what's more, this ministry of suffering and holiness was given to Timothy not because he was somehow worthy of it or well qualified or because of something that he had done, but, verse 9, because of God's own purpose and his own grace. A grace that was given to Timothy in Christ before the very foundations of the world were set in place. A grace that had been revealed through Jesus, our Savior, who has destroyed death and brought to us life through the gospel. You see, Paul is again highlighting for Timothy that his standing and his ministry are all part of God's grace and God's plan. And Timothy's position, with all the problems, how easy it would be to turn around and think, it's my fault. The church was failing, it was falling to bits, it happened on my watch, so it must be something to do with me. You see, when you're in leadership, it's really easy to fall into that trap, to thinking it all depends on you. And when it goes wrong, and when it gets tough, it's your fault. That it all depends on you, and if you fail, it's all over. But in reality, it's all part of God's gracious plan, the purpose of God. You see, God is in control even in the bad times. Even when here in Ephesus, with all the difficulties that the church was in, God was in control of that church. And what's more, Timothy's standing, his position before God was not, was not based on his performance. It was not based on how well he thought he was doing or how badly he might think he was doing. It was based on God's grace. Grace given to him in Christ. That grace which he received before the world existed. That grace which God gives us in Christ by his Holy Spirit who dwells in us. You see, how many of us, especially in leadership, how many of us, at least unconsciously, want to base our relationship with God on our performance. When we're doing well, God's pleased. But when we start to do badly, when we start to make a mess of things, that means, oh, God's not pleased anymore. Oh, oh, I'm in trouble. When you're a position like Timothy, that is a very, very dangerous thing. You slip into this mindset that allows you to think that only when I am doing well, only when things are going well, only when things are great, is God pleased with me. But that's just another form of works religion, isn't it? That's, speaking personally, is an incredible temptation for anybody in leadership. We make our relationship with God depend on our faithfulness to our ministry and our position, not our faithfulness to the gospel, not our faithfulness to Christ. And the grace that we receive. And it is so subtle. And it is so easy to fall into. And it is so devastating. Our salvation is by grace alone. And all our life including our ministry and our leadership is based on that same grace of the gospel. 
Was Jim Elliot, the, the missionary to Ecuador, was his ministry a success? If you take his ministry alone, it was a spectacular failure. Not any of those Ecuadorian tribe that he set out to reach were actually converted, were they? In his relationship with, if his relationship with God was based on his performance, he was in big trouble. But it wasn't, was it? For by God's good grace, that tribe was reached with the gospel. And Elliot was only one small part of that. But his relationship was not dependent on what he did. It was dependent on Christ. His efforts to, those tri- to that tribe itself was a success, but not in the way we like to measure it. See, like Timothy and Paul, as Paul will say in verses 11 and 12, we must rely on the Spirit's power to see us through. We must be prepared to suffer for the gospel and be faithful to the gospel in our lives. Rely on that grace, even for our own leadership, for our own ministries. No matter what our situation that we face, trust God to guard what he has entrusted, to guard that we, what we have entrusted to him, as Paul says. And finally, we must guard the gospel itself. Verses 13 and 14. What you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. What is Timothy to do then? In his situation, as he suffers, as he relies on the gospel, well, Paul instructs him. The first thing he must look to do is to keep the teaching that Paul had given to him. Paul is at the end of his life. He knows that after him, what he has begun must continue. Where he has left off, others must follow. So Timothy is to firstly keep the pattern of sound or healthy teaching that he heard from Paul. Paul was the apostle of Christ, the one equipped, commissioned to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now when he's gone, that same healthy teaching, that same teaching, which is to do with the promise of life, as he says in in verse 1, which brings life, that must continue. That must survive. That must go beyond Paul. And this idea of a pattern, of course, something that is recognizable, that can be copied. What Paul has taught, that same apostolic message about Jesus, must be kept the same. It must not be changed or modified or made easier, easier for some people to take. Nobody likes the idea of having to suffer or having hardship, but it would be a a lot easier for Timothy just to forget his responsibilities, wouldn't it? It would be a lot easier for him just to, to concentrate on the nice bits of what Paul had to say. Because, you know, that doesn't cause any trouble. But that would not be keeping the same pattern of healthy teaching. That wouldn't be guarding this good deposit, this gospel that Timothy has now received from Paul. You see, it's a bit like the relay baton race. The Apostle Paul has received the gospel from Jesus. Paul has passed this deposit, this pattern of sound teaching on to Timothy. 
Paul has suffered for it. He has endured all the trials in his life. He has guarded it from error, even to the point of rebuking a fellow apostle. And now Timothy must take up this baton. He must take this gospel that he has received and he must continue with it. He must guard it and remain faithful. He must be prepared to suffer the mock and the ridicule that might come with it. He must be willing to serve, even in prison, as Paul is, for the sake of this gospel. But the most important thing he must do is to keep this message the same. To keep it unaltered. He must guard it from error, from the more subtle errors to the more outrageous ones. Timothy must hold this pattern, this sound teaching together. So that after Paul goes, the message of life in Christ still continues. The baton continues to be passed and the message of life in Christ is protected. And once more, he doesn't do this on his own. Rather, he is to guard it with the help again of the Holy Spirit. At the beginning and at the end of this section, Paul draws Timothy to the enabling ministry of the Holy Spirit. For it's only by that Spirit that we have the power to continue, to suffer, and to guard this gospel. To be faithful, to love those who oppose us. You see, it's easy to run large churches with a whole raft of meetings. It's easy to organize fellowships and to run events. Anybody who is half competent can do those things. But the most important thing of all as a church that we must understand is our task to make sure that the gospel is guarded, that it is kept pure, that it is unalloyed from any form of deviation, whatever that may be. And that is not easy. can run a church really well. It can be successful. And all the while, this real work, this work of guarding the gospel can be forgotten. It's a task that will mean suffering and hardship. For some in our world today, it means death and imprisonment. And it's primarily a task that has been given now to us. That gospel baton has went from Timothy through the generations. It now rests with us. For the elders, for the deacons, for the Sunday school leaders, for the fellowship group leaders, for every one of us. It is the most important thing that we can do. Follow that apostolic gospel. Guard that good deposit by the Holy Spirit. And it's a task which which required so much commitment, so much determination, which resulted in so much hardship and so much disappointment that it, was, it could reduce a giant like Timothy, trained by the Apostle Paul himself, it could reduce him to tears, to the brink of giving up. Could it be Could it be with our comfort-driven priorities, our management techniques, that we have so reinterpreted what the church is all about that we no longer know what it is to suffer or to guard the gospel? Could it be that 
in our desire for success, we have forgotten the need of the Holy Spirit to give us power to suffer, to continue, and to be faithful guardians of that which we have received. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for the gospel. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the grace that we receive in him, that grace which was ours before the very foundations of the world were set in place. A grace which we now stand in and a grace which will see us through to the very end. Father, we do pray that you will help us amidst the temptations and the struggles that we have to be faithful, not to be ashamed of the gospel, not to be ashamed of your word, of the Apostle Paul. Lord, we do pray that you will help us to be faithful servants of this gospel and that we will be those who will faithfully guard, protect, and preach it to those around us, in whatever context we are in. Help us, Lord, to be faithful guardians. Help us fan into flame that gift of God, the Holy Spirit, which you have given to us for our, to equip us for this task. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.